Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, crypto traders around the world. I have some, I think, bad news, and then some are good news, but I think there's some bad news. And I want to talk through some of this nonsense first. I think it's important that you are aware of it, and it's important that you search it. Because if you agree, like I think you should, that this is bad news, then I'm hoping some common sense plays into this. But it makes me nervous for companies like Coinbase in particular, Robinhood and others, especially Coinbase because Coinbase tried and failed. And I think they'll say, okay, does that we do it? And so let's kind of get into it. First up with some over-level news, high level, right? The industry is up ever slightly. There are a couple of triggering factors for some of it and others I don't have an explanation, but there's a couple of triggering factors for some of it. Number one, the sentiment of the market in general is up which means that cryptocurrency has gained more confidence as far as investor sentiment. This has affected SHIB. There was talk and some rumors about Robinhood, and that's been going around for ages. Like, it's not anything new. And Robinhood's kind of been silent about it. I still maintain that being listed on Robinhood, I know there's still like this holdout group of traders that for whatever reason, they refuse to use anything other than Robinhood, and I don't understand it other than potentially that they've got stocks that they want to sell so that they can buy SHIB. But you could do that with Robinhood. I have a Robinhood account. I don't use it. But you could just sell your stock, get the cash out of there, take it over to Coinbase, and then buy in and then buy your SHIB straight. It's, struggle, it's a struggle. Why are you so fixated on Robinhood? I just don't know. But there's just a subset, and it's apparently a loud subset of just, we want Robinhood, Robinhood. There was a change.org about it. I don't get it. I truly don't. If anybody has any smoke on that, please share the smoke. I want to understand, other than just preference, what is it that people are fixated on Robinhood about with SHIB and why? Why won't you use any of the other copious tools? Because at this point, SHIB's everywhere. SHIB is as many places as Bitcoin. So it's like you can get it from any place you want and then just store it in a wallet if you really want it, you know, on your own. But storing it in Robinhood, you don't own it. They own it. There's no benefit other than just a dumb, I'm honestly saying a dumbed-down interface. If you want a dumbed-down interface, you could theoretically go with like Crypto.com or Webull. But I think Coinbase is probably a dumber interface than Robinhood. Like I want to understand what it is, this fixation of SHIB on Robinhood. I don't get it. Anyhow, inflation, there are some numbers that were released about inflation. This is predominantly United States, but of course United States currency affects international trade and so inflation numbers came out it was presented as this is this is not transitional this is not temporary and no it's not a, not a big deal it's actually a big deal this is not good how can we how can we regroup from this and i think a lot of people are now starting to resonate and respond say okay we need to really do something about this and people are starting to buy more into crypto mostly as an insulation against the inflation, but also some people are seeing that there are opportunities, there's dips, right? And they're so buying in the dips and waiting for the discounts. As I mentioned, I was not sold on this idea that it's a bear season causing the price movement. I said that it seemed like people's sentiment was down. And this result of the numbers from the CPI, which is the price index that came out, and people instantly reacted, and we saw that there was kind of this rush somewhat rush to getting back into cryptocurrency as before. But I also do think that there was a lot of 
a lot of risk that people were not willing to take on in the regular securities market. So on the stock side, did it make sense to go over there and the risk that those might tank? Or does it make sense to go into cryptocurrency and kind of live in that world and be okay with it? Although it's way more volatile, you kind of have more certainty that it has more of a future, if that makes any sense. Now the flip, which I'll talk about in a, a little bit later, is around this whole hearings and the CEOs talking to the U.S. government and them basically going the wrong way. Remember I said on the other episode, I think it was a bad outcome myself. And there was a couple of pieces that came from this. And I'll go ahead and jump into one of those. I said before that I feel that the current Democrat administration is, is flat out anti-crypto. Energy uses do, do, do. And of course, they want you dependent on the system and all these things. And I said that if you do have Republicans who are able to affect law, they are more likely to embrace crypto as we see it and allow people to buy into it because they know that that has a tendency to then support a strong economy because as you're able to generate wealth, you're likely to put it back in the economy, regardless of how you transact it. If you transact it as fiat or you transact it as crypto, think about it. If you made right now, if you put $500 into something and it went 10, so you got 5,000 and say you cashed out $4,000, what are you going to do? You're going to spend it. You might save it, but there would be no reason to in the long term. You might go ahead and spend it and you might spend it on other crypto but more likely you're going to spend it on things like bills things like stuff for your kids to go to college or maybe you needed to buy a new car maybe you need you to pay off your car maybe you needed to just buy essentials whatever it is you're going to transact with it is my point you're less likely to just toss it in a bank because you know that tossing it in a bank those interest rewards are nothing compared to what you could get leaving it in an exchange when the bank is offering you a 0.01 APY and the exchange is offering you a 1,000 APY, this is a real thing, what sense does it make to even leave it with the banks at this point? The banks are now coming, becoming this conduit for kind of getting into and out of fiat or things like wire transfers, less so the store value because of the, number one, the inflation, but also just the sentiment of people and the way things trade and happen. So I'm... There was a, a representative from, I believe, the House of Representatives. He, he introduced a bill where there's been kind of this chatter around creating a stable coin around the United States dollar that is managed by the Federal Reserve and thus is kind of the official digital currency. Now, this representative has good and bad intentions, and I want to be clear. He's not one-sided that he's all America. He's two-sided, number one. He doesn't like centralized digital currencies by which he's saying that, okay, I don't think this idea of the United States government getting in this business is the right idea. And what it could do is it will compromise financial privacy because think about it. If you have this currency that's digital currency, that's managed by the federal government, it contradicts the whole concept of cryptocurrency that being privacy right now, if you have a wallet, Nobody can attribute it to your name unless you distribute it as such. And so it's just a, an address that's floating out there and then currencies trade. Well, if they're going to do it with the government, you already know it's the same way with the banking. That's what they're going to do. Okay, you got to show your ID and then you got to apply in person at some bank branch. Or if you do it online, they're going to request all this ID and then you got to get a notary because you got to know who you are. We got to do 
at least a pseudo background check and maybe do check systems against, they're going to do the same thing. They're going to copy that same framework because that's all they know. They will not do it to say, we'll just give you a wallet address and have at it because in their mind, they have to know with the Patriot Act and money laundering and all these other things, they are going to want to get in the deep in the weeds about the who. And the only way they can do it is the framework they have now. Well, that contradicts the whole spirit of cryptocurrency. And that's kind of the part of the point he's making. So that's a good thing. It's good that he understands that, hey, this is not going to work. Doing this all nonsense is just going to, it's authoritarianism, as he puts it. And I agree with this. And I don't think it's the right idea. And I also agree that when he's talking, when he's introducing this to say, hey, we need to rethink what we're doing. It is good that they're at least having the conversation and that there's bills being presented to try to make sure that we are doing, if we're going to do it, we do it correctly. And ideally the way that our current banking system isn't going to be the right answer for that. Now on the negative side of how he's talking about it, I do think that there needs to be certain regulations around stable coins that are pegged to the United States dollar. They just need to be smart regulations that don't require individualized identification. Like nobody cares if you have a, $1 bill or a $10 bill or a $50 bill or a $20 bill or a $100 bill in your pocket. Nobody cares how you got it. Nobody cares anything about it. It's just that the way that you get access to that money, generally speaking, requires that you breach your privacy. Like an ATM machine knows who you are from your debit card. Walking in a bank knows what you are from your debit card. So everything we built in framework is tied to a privacy breach It's not the individual bill that they care about. It's the fact that you have access to this money. In a perfect world, the stable coin should not care who you are individually. So if they're going to create a stable coin type situation, the better answer is to have it just be regulatory around the existing stable coins that are there, only the stable coins, none of the rest of crypto. So when I say it's slightly negative on his point, the fact that he's presenting something that's around stable coins that's still talking about the stable coin being a concept, I think what he should have done is said, no, we need to stay away from this and just simply regulate the existing stable coins because no matter what we do, it's going to be a breach of privacy. So it's kind of contradictory. I'm not criticizing him. I'm calling out that I think the right answer should be if we're going to be concerned about stable coins because they're pegged to our currency, we should simply regulate the existing stable coins and not try to create new stable coins out of scratch, and then we know that we're going to force them either way into this framework that's violating people's privacy and just leave it at that. Basically say, we are not creating a stable coin. We know that China and others are trying to do it, create their own stable coins because they want to control the currency. As I said, they want control over currency and the flow of it, but in addition, the the identification of who has what currency, which that's when you start to get into very dangerous waters. Think about this. If you have all this digital currency and then they start retiring quote unquote what we know of as physical fiat now you lose control over the exchange of that currency you lose control they could lock out your account they could block out your access to money they could change the amounts in your accounts like it starts to get very scary we can call tinfoil all you care to but we have to understand when things go digital it gives them the control to lock and change and break things and i don't think that's the right answer now On the flip side, there were some chatter, and it came mostly out of one credit bureau, so I'm not creating a panic run on this, but I am calling it to attention because I hope that this does not become a thing and that these come come full circle and fight back against it. 
But what happened was one of the credit bureaus, in this case TransUnion, is one of three major credit bureaus in the United States. And what they do for other countries that are a little bit more advanced and they have common sense around them, so they're not going to know what the heck I'm talking about, let me just summarize. In the United States, some years ago, there was this idea that we needed to document whether somebody is credit worthy, quote unquote, meaning that some computer makes a decision based on all these different data points, whether or not somebody should lend you money. In the past, it used to basically be trust. It used to basically be people that are talking to each other and based on the conversation and based on what you're doing, we can confidently go and lend you money. They didn't like that. They wanted to kind of lock it down and automate it because they wanted to do it even faster. And so when they did this, what happened is this whole credit situation where now every single transaction that you're doing that has to do with lending fiat runs through the credit bureaus at some level. There are these score factors that are automated. This is a totally automated process. So when you go to your bank and you say, I want a $5,000 loan, the bank will put in all of your data, which is a lot of private data, and they'll ping one of these bureaus or all three or two, whatever they feel like. And they'll say, I want this score factor because it has what I want as a bank. And I want you to give me a number and it's a three digit number and it comes back. And then in their system, they basically said the number has to be this or greater. It's that generic. In some cases they'll say, well, we'll take it, but it just can't have this type of account like this type of negative or this type of positive, or you need this much credit over time, or you need, you need to have at least one car having financed. And then many people, especially older folks bought their cars with money. So then what happens is they try to get a loan and they get denied because they don't have the type of credit quote unquote that the bank is expecting. So it's this whole big hubble but it's kind of been accepted as the common way of lending in the fiat side, in the crypto side, the beauty has always been that because it is, I talked about this in one of the earlier episodes, there is a concept of collateral because the crypto already exists because the value already exists. There is, there's nothing there. You already have value. So you're really just lending against the value. There's no need for a credit check because there's no risk. You're not losing any money. If I have $10,000 in crypto and I want you to loan me $5,000 for whatever purpose, you technically already have the 5,000 in value by crypto held as collateral. There's no need to credit check me. So many of these crypto companies like Nexo and others have built loans that say, nope, we don't need to do a credit check. We don't need to really do anything because it's collateral. They know how this should work. And collateral used to be a big thing that you wouldn't run a credit check if you have collateral to back it. That went away where everybody, they were running credit on everything, every, every single thing. And that was not, that was never the right answer because initially the whole credit screening was around the idea of different rates so regardless of what the credit was, you still it's not about approval denial. It was this score is going to get a better rate than that score, and that's fair. But when it started to be, nope, we'll just deny you and we're not going to talk to you, which is how it currently is most of the way, now it started to lock people out. And the problem is, is that certain races of people, certain genders of people, certain origins of people are being discriminated against. They're being blocked to get access to these programs because – Many of them would not have credit and can't get it. So people who recently migrate from another country, and maybe they're in their 30s, 40s, they would not have built up any credit. There's no reason to, because in your host country, 
in a lot of cases, there is no such credit scoring to bank off of. So they're only caring about these three and you don't have a profile. So when they run credit, they get no score because there's nothing to score. And then you get denied. Well, that's not fair. Crypto lending opened this up a little bit to say, hey, we should allow you have collateral. So if you have crypto that you were able to build, then you should be able to get a loan against it when you need it. Times get hard or maybe you want to buy a car, but you don't want to sell the stake in crypto. TransUnion comes out and says, yep, we're going to introduce some credit scores here because that's all they know. That's all that the financial side knows. And when you get banks in the mix, which they're trying to get in the mix, the banks always want to have what they know and what they're comfortable with. So I know that this push is coming from banking. It's coming from them saying, we're not going to adopt this crypto thing unless we can do credit checks and we can deny you and we can do the whole thing as before. I think that's, I'm pretty confident that's where it's coming from. Then on top of this, there's going to be more flexibility in the regulatory system where, okay, now that we see that we got credit checks on things, which of course, remember credit checks identify you there. That means privacy breach. That means there's no decent. That means there's no anonymity. Then they're going to say, okay, yep, sure. Oh, no problem. That's when they're going to be happy. That's when you're going to see widespread adoption of a thing. This is what has caused a certain rise recently of no, we need to figure out how to get Descend to do what it's supposed to do to where we maintain the privacy and we're going to be off on the side. Now they're talking about a passport. They're talking that already exists. It's a tool called Spring. And they're talking about this passport and a KYC verification. And apparently the proposal is that as you do this, then it'll anonymously just basically say attest that you went through the process kind of like clear, if you know clear on the travel side, a similar type of thing. But they're saying that, but on the flip, TransUnion is like, nope, we need identity information. It's it's contradictory. you got one tool who wants to keep anonymity and just simply provide an attestation. And then you got another service who says, nope, we need identity, we need val- val- background and validation, we need all that other stuff so we can deny you. That's basically what it is. So that we can make the banks happy. That's ultimately what it is. This is a scary thing to me. And I don't want to see this. I don't want to see any involvement. And I hope many of the different orgs that offer lending today will not jump on that board. And they'll say, no, it's collateral. There's no reason to do a credit check because what are we lending against? We're lending against money you already own. Why are we doing a credit check when you already own the freaking asset? It doesn't make any sense. The pitch is from banks is to say, well, we need to do KYC, enforce it. We need to do anti-money laundering and enforce it. And then we need to do credit checks and enforce it. Okay, fine. But all you're going to do is cause a, a rush, more rush to descend finance, which is, no, we don't want people to get in our business. We want to be off on the side and we want to be independent. We don't want to go that route because it defeats the whole purpose of decentralized finance. I agree on that. I do think some regulations needed credit check is no, because it makes no freaking sense whatsoever. Now, if they're going to say, no, what we're talking about is not, a, we're never going to run a credit check if you already own the asset and we're just giving you a collateral loan. We're only going to run it if you want to borrow crypto. I think that's still bad because now what you're doing is you're basically essentially laundering crypto. You're essentially creating margin marginability around crypto, which is going to make the, in, the industry at large more volatile and essentially turn it into the same as the stock market. I don't want to see anything where you're touching credit checks 
or lending around something you don't have. I'm fine with collateral loans. They should not have a credit check. That's kind of my stance on it. So that's all I want to cover on the news today. Those are the big ones. Um, there are a couple of other ones that are smaller ones, but the big, big takeaway of what's happening now is I do think that the sentiment is kind of getting back. We're starting to get a little bit more positive price movement. I maintained a bullish stance on 2022 just because it seemed like things were lightening up. The CDC has opened guidance a little bit. I'm hearing from companies they're not requiring vaccines. So it's a good thing. And hopefully this will allay some concerns that, okay, we're never going to go back. And then the government seems to be lightening up on them trying to lock stuff down. So I feel good about it. Hopefully you feel good about it. But do your research and see what you see on the news that I covered and other news. Stay up on it because it is boring but interesting at the same time. And then I talked about SHIB and then the whole rumors of Robin Hood, which makes no freaking sense to me. But the interesting thing on SHIB is that bone is still in a depressed state. It has not recovered. And people may still be stacking bags on that guy. And I'm bullish on, I'm now more bullish on bone than I was before because it doesn't make sense for the price to be this low this long. I think people are stacking bags. I think this guy's going to start jumping. Uh, and I'm still maintaining somewhere late February, possibly March where we're going to start seeing upward movement on this one because the way that it's currently trending doesn't, it's illogical unless there's going to be some jump and people are just keeping the price down so they can stack bags is the only answer I've got on what the heck's going on on that one. Cytomask, there was some chatter recently that people were able to create wallets and according to them, the wallets do verify on the main net Ethereum, which means that the test net issue may not be an issue now. However, the interface still doesn't let you select the main net, which makes me nervous. And then, of course, you can't choose Bitcoin or Binance, which are different networks. So I think there's still a fundamental issue. However, the address created appears to be mainnet. So if you want to verify this, if you're in Cytomask and you want to verify yourself, you can take your wallet, copy it from Cytomask, assuming you can get in. Sorry. Take your wallet address. You would then go to Etherscan, which is the site. Just search Etherscan in a search engine. It'll take you right there. Plug your address in there. And as long as it comes back with a record of some kind, then that means it should be on the mainnet. You should be good to go, as far as I can tell. I personally would not trust the tool as long as that interface doesn't behave the way I expect it to because it means I can't trust that all transactions are going the way they're supposed to. It doesn't mean that it's not working. There are people who say, yep, I'm in. I'm able to do it. And it looks like it's working. I'm saying that the interface should be telling the truth about what's really happening for it to get my confidence. And I'm a developer, so I look at it, and I'm like, this should not be just, okay, whatever. We should fix this thing. However, I wasn't able to verify it myself because as I tried to go back in, I'm now getting the network connection issue error. I'm not getting the old error. Now it's the previous error is back again. And I'm on the latest version of the app, so I think they're still having fundamental issues. They did introduce a CAPTCHA in the front of it, it doesn't seem to be doing the job because if they're still getting network connection issues, I don't know if it's truly DDoS or not, but I'm not able to get back in to verify anything that I just told you. So if you're able to get in, again, it looks like the wallet address is correct, but my personal opinion is I wouldn't trust it as long as the UI is not telling the truth. And I'll just stick with that. But I want to talk about an underdog token for today. And, you know, I don't even know how to approach this one because... It's, it got a little bit of chatter on social media. It's not, I don't think that they're malicious because it does seem like they're putting themselves out there. They did at least one video that I can see, but there are some unfortunate 
things about this one, and I'm going to go through the unfortunate things, but first I want to do them justice as far as their, their pitch, their model, what they're doing. The token's called Greenchart. Greenchart.finance is their site. Greenchart is, as the name is described, their mission was to try to ensure constant growth of a token by figuring out what it would take for a token to consistently grow, as opposed to you know the ups and the downs and the dips and the da, da. And of course, there's a number of factors that go into a token going up or going down or staying level set. And it's important to understand that buys and sells, basically volume in general, everything plays a factor. Volume is what causes price movement, whether it's buys and buys or sells. If a token is on an exchange, then limit orders, which are limit sells, limit buys, all help contribute to a price for a token moving. If you're decent only, pre- predominantly, you're talking about scarcity of in- inventory, you're talking about liquidity, health, liquidity pairs, and so on. There's all these different factors to think about, depending on whether it's decent only or if it's on the centralized exchange. Green, as far as I can tell, is only decent. It's on the Binance Smart Chain. It has a hundred billion in its total supply. Now, just a couple points before I go any deeper. Although it has a hundred billion in its total supply, the coin market cap, if you ever look at coin market cap data for this token, appears to be a bit wrong because of things I'll talk about later. So it'll say a hundred billion is max, but then eighty-nine billion is total. The eighty-nine billion, I suspect, is either wrong or the website's wrong and outdated. Something's not quite right. Here's why I say this. On the site, and again, they talk about we should be able to get to green. They have the tokenomics, and the way they did the tokenomics is that 15% of all sells. There's no tax on buys. There's only tax on sells. 15% of the sells get buyback. It's a buyback, which is the current thing to do, and then they're burned of that 15%. Okay, that makes a logical sense. Why? Because if you're doing, I mean, I call this out. If you're doing a tax on buys and sells, if you're doing a tax on both, you're discouraging people from buying into the token. However, they took it a step further. They said, well, wait a minute. If you're doing a tax on buys, which is basically a sell, in a sense, you're actually harming the token. Okay, so (laughs) that's logical. That makes sense, right? Because any time that you do a buyback of a token, is a good thing. However, when you do a tax on a buy, you're having to do a sell because you need to sell those tokens that you just took to put it back in liquidity or whatever you're doing with it. So that actually contributes to sell pressure because people start seeing red and it's psychological. This makes perfect sense to me, 100% sense to me. Okay, so they said, nope, we're only going to tax on the sell side. However, if you look at the site, And the graphs and everything else, down below, there's a buy tax of 14%. Okay, that contradicts what you just said, because you just said that there's a 15 only on sales. When you do, but this says 7% slippage, and it's 7% marketing off the buy. Okay, when I did the transaction, I'm pretty sure that the slippage was nowhere near 7. It looked to me like it didn't charge me anything, because it was only like a few cents to buy it. So I don't think there's a buy tax. This may have changed. Maybe, but it's not reflected on the site that it changed. It's not reflected on the white paper that it changed. Far as I can tell, at least right now when I tested it, it didn't seem to charge me a tax on the buy. However, the site says there's a tax on the buy, so I'm not sure what happened there or what that's all about. 
when they, they have a marketing wallet, I don't see a developer wallet, and they said that there's a cap on how much the developers can hold. That's all cool. But then they went deeper. They said, you know, we want an asset that everybody can get. Well, the, of course, the that's true, but there's going to come a point when your so your supply is going to exceed what you can sell to people, right, your demand. So I, I like the global vision, but I'm not sure how sustainable that is when you're doing a constant green because, again, some of that red is what creates opportunities for people to buy into the token. And if you are successful at staying green, then at some point you're going to hit a capacity point. So then I looked a bit deeper into the supply part of it because I wanted to understand that a little bit better. The website claims that there's a total supply of 100 billion, like I saw in CoinMarketCap, and a total burn, it doesn't specify what that means, of 20 billion. Okay, 20% is total burn. But I'm not sure what that means because if it's 20 billion burned total and total supply is 100 billion, I would expect CoinMarketCap then to show me 80 billion and it shows me nearly 90 billion. So something's weird there. But also, if you're doing a burn on every single cell, which seems like is what you're doing, and I do see cell activity, it does seem to be happening, then I would expect this to possibly be 79 billion in the total supply remaining and circulating, not 89 billion. That the reason that seems like a small amount, but it affects your market cap, it affects your pricing. And so I want to make sure that data is correct. Some of this is self-reported. So my number one, I would call out, I think coin market, either coin market cap's wrong or the website's wrong. They need to be they need to be in sync. They need to be correct. That's number one. Number two, they refer to the white paper. The white paper, when I pull up the white paper, again, is that Git book that drives me nuts. Feedback number two, your white paper needs to be a flat PDF that is unchanging. It's fine if you want to use Gitbook for ease of edit, but you need to be able to publish a flat PDF. Why? Because if you have an editable Gitbook, and I know Gitbook, it means you can go in there and just tweak stuff anytime and people wouldn't know because you have no record of what you said at one point in time. This goes back to the whole buy tax. Maybe they changed their mind later and decided not to have a buy tax at all. Okay, if that's true, I don't know if it is, but if it is, I should have had a PDF that told me when I bought in, this is what you promised. And then later when it changes, I should be able to correlate that to the new version of the document and see that something specifically changed here. And ideally you should call it out as an individual change on your website first and then on various social media. Because it's a Git book, they could go in there and say, okay, today, right now it says dev wallet 2.5. Well, they could, somebody could go in there and say, okay, we're gonna tweak that dev wallet 10% and nobody would know. Right. And so that's what that's why the static PDF is critical. It seems like a small thing, but it's important that you have a flat document that you can trust. The last thing that I'll call well, not last thing. There's a couple other things, but they're not anywhere. They're not issues. They're just observations. But the last thing that I'll call out as an issue, it looks like the liquidity is locked is locked through pink sale, which tells me that it was locked during the IDO. Pink sale, the tool doesn't seem to be working, and I don't know why that is because I'm trying to verify it. I do see it on the blockchain that it is 99% locked liquidity, so the liquidity cannot be accessed, but I can't tell the duration of the lock. That's important. So ideally, we would have locked it through a tool that's a little bit more reliable like Unicrypt, and Unicrypt is a little bit more on the Ethereum side, but it does support Binance, Paris, as I understand it, or Team.Finance, which does support Binance, some other tool other than pink sale at the IDO stage, but I know if they did it during the IDO, maybe that's all they could do. 
So now let's call out things that I observed. Um, they have a staking mechanic. So there's no reflections by default. In order to get reflections, you would have to stake it. However, their staking tool doesn't work. To me, I understand the logic of the staking and then you get rewards for having staked your tokens. However, that means you need to make sure the staking tool actually works on a consistent basis so that people can not only stake their tokens, but unstake it. I'm not calling them a scammer or any of that kind of stuff, but just keep in mind, if your tool doesn't work, people are not going to be able to unstake their tokens or even stake more. So it actually might harm your token for not having the staking tool actively working. Now, I can't tell that it's my side. It doesn't look like it. I tried it a couple different browsers, tried different ways. Thing just doesn't load. So I don't know what that's all about. And perhaps there's just a better way to do staking that doesn't require a tool, but I know most everybody does a tool, but maybe some alternate, definitely you should have a backup so that when this happens, you have alternate ways for people to still be able to do the transactions that they want to do as opposed to being completely locked out. The other observation I'll call out, they have a, they had an AMA apparently that they had, I'm assuming that happened on Telegram. And they created a YouTube service, but they haven't touched it since they started the thing. And that's a, that bothers me. Here's why. I don't like the reliance on Telegram or Twitter to do these critical things. You should be copying all of this stuff over to your YouTube because you have a YouTube. Get it across your social media so that everybody gets it. Don't just assume that everybody's only on Telegram because, again, the vast majority of the United States are not on freaking Telegram. So get create copies of what you're doing. Record it. Publish it to your YouTube, distribute it through your various social media, put it on your site because there's been no, it says regular live AMAs. It looks like that's only happening in Telegram and then you're not recording them so that you can put them on your YouTube so that people outside of the bubble can see what you're doing and see what you're talking about. I'm not sure why that hasn't happened, honestly. Other than what I just mentioned, uh, and there's no, there's no audit completed at this point that I can find. They said it's in the process for phase two. However, I don't see that it's been requested as of right now. It's only a month old, so I'm going to give it a little bit of time. But again, other tokens prioritize getting the audit done. So here's my list of call to actions for this these guys. I'll add them because I want them to. And listen, if you want to come on the show, I'd love to talk to you. You're open, open invitation. But here's my calls to action. Number one, that white paper needs to be a flat PDF. Figure it out. Publish it on the site so that people have a static version of what they were promised when they buy into the token. Number two, any recording videos that you do, regardless of the source platform, need to be put on your YouTube. Otherwise, why have the darn thing? Number three, I would get that, that audit done, even if it's just dessert finance, minimum. Something. Get some audit done up front. You're probably going to have findings from the auditors, I suspect. But get one of the audits. I don't rate tech rate, but like dessert finance would be good. Get them. They're pretty quick about it, and they're good. They do a lot, a really good job about that. That's what I want to see. And then more importantly, I see that they're doing serious influ influencers as part of their roadmap in the future. What I would like to see on this one is some partnership that talks about the mechanics and the tokenomics so that you can distribute it, possibly package it up as knowledge that you can sell to other tokens so that they can do the same thing you did. Because I think every token provider should want projects that are able to generate strong growth and many frankly suck at it. So think about if you figured this out, it looks like from the graph that you've done a good job in maintaining that green chart concept. Maybe you have the right blend of tokenomics where you can help other providers 
and say, we can package this up as a consultative solution or maybe a document or something that you can sell, right? And then use that profit and put it back into other projects that you might do because maybe you build parallel tokens in the ecosystem that are doing other other things. But you use this framework to help other tokens do the same success that you were able to do for the same reasons. Obviously, the utility isn't there other than green chart, but they're staying true to what it is that they were trying to do, which is to try to keep the chart in the green. And it has stayed largely in the green its entire duration, primarily driven by strong buy pressure and a very low amount of sell pressure. It's getting sells and there's well selling, but they're not affecting the trend lines of the token by any significant degree. It dropped two zeros from when it launched. So clearly they figured something out. There are so many tokens that could use the knowledge that this is gleaned. I do think that many of them, the buy tax might be part of it, but I think a lot of them, it just has to do with the, the current trend of reflections and anti-whale and everything else. But if you figured out some calculation math out, share that and charge it and be that thing because you could turn this into something. And that's what I got. Again, that's that's the green chart token on the Binance Smart Chain. That's all I got for you today. I will check back in with you tomorrow unless Cytomass starts working.